That's all right. We have a few announcements at the beginning anyway. Um, let me tell you a little bit about uh, TSP 23 and some other stuff. But today, our main subject is going to be saving money by cutting your own meat. And I'm going to go through, uh, I'm going to mention a few more subprimals than the three big ones. But I'm going to talk about three, actually four subprimals. And I'll tell you what a subprimal is in a bit that you can easily source in most of the country. That can put a lot of money back in your pocket and or let you just simply eat better than you would otherwise. I'm actually going to, uh, you know, I'm not going to teach you how to how to how to cut up meat in a podcast like this, uh, because going through one subprimal could take 30, 40 minutes just in of itself to show you how to do everything. And then you still wouldn't know everything. I actually kind of want to make today sort of like a master class at the macro level of the concept for you to understand what's possible to get a little bit excited about it, to understand some of the basic gear that can be helpful to you, but you don't necessarily need. And then we're going to go through four, uh, is it four or three or four? Four, I think, subprimals here. Uh, we're going to talk about a full chuck roll and what that is. And we're going to talk about a, a sirloin top butt. We're going to talk about a, a beef shoulder clod. Yeah, I thought it was three. It's three subprimals. I'm also going to talk about some other stuff that's like less work, but you at least want to consider like buying a whole eye of round uh, or something like a, a sirloin knuckle or something like that. I'm going to give you some pricing in the beginning, and that's going to help you kind of sort out like, yeah, this actually makes sense. There's a big misconception. I see a lot of people doing videos on this, long form videos on YouTube, short form videos on places like TikTok. There's a dude named Meet That I really like. He's helping a lot of people, showing them how to do this stuff in short videos and all. I even have like one of his videos. I'll, I'll roll like his B-roll at toward the end today. Um, but the number one objection I see is, well, it doesn't really save money because you have waste or you have, you know, leftovers. or It's not just steak or whatever. I'm going to show you today just using apples to apples comparison. Uh, all of the, the subprimals I found at my local Costco warehouse that I'm, I'm going to show you the price of today uh, are USDA Choice. And so I have USDA Choice, you know, not even the little tiny packs, like value packs from also my local Albertsons. And we're going to look how uh, the reality is a lot of these primals, if all you did was trim them up a little bit to get the silver skin off and fill the speed, feed the silver skin to your dog and throw them in a grinder, you could still come out ahead. And you're going to see today why you really wouldn't want to do that, even though it would work out. All right, so real quick, just to stall a little bit since I started early, and it's an important announcement anyway, um, let's talk a little bit about TSP 23. As of right now, my plan is to put the tickets on sale next weekend. So that would be the 9th of September. There's actually a shit ton of work every year in getting ready to put the tickets on sale. I am hoping that it will be ready to go. If it changes, I'll let you know next week. But as of right now, that's when you want to mark your calendar for. I will be putting out a ton of information over the next week about what's going to happen. I'm hoping to have out tomorrow at the latest a blog post with the schedule and the menu on it. 
the documents are written up, so it's pretty much just translating them into there. I also just made a deal. I made a deal with somebody. I'm not going to tell you who it is. I'm not going to tell you what it is, what it's for, but it's going to be really cool. And it's it's a reason that I'm actually going to be increasing my ticket prices very slightly this year from five fifty to five seventy five. Twenty five bucks. It won't even cover my entire cost on this thing, but it's gonna be something that some of you will be like, Oh, that's nice. And some of you will be like, Oh wow. Oh wow. I can't believe it. And if you're like one of those that's nice people, I'll bet you there'll be somebody in your life that'll be like, Oh wow, if you choose to give it to them. It'll be something you're gonna leave with. It's going to be something you just can't go get. You just can't do online or whatever. Like, it's going to be really cool. It's going to be somewhat personalized, and we're going to be the only way for it to happen. And for those that are coming or have somebody coming, there will be a way for you to add it. Like, if you want two or three or something that we can work at, we'll figure out how to do it uh, to kind of do it as an add-on for if you want more than one. And uh, it's going to be awesome. This is going to be awesome, especially for you guys. Let's get a little bit of hunting, uh, a little bit of a, of a hint here. If you kind of are an enthusiast about hunting and fishing and stuff like that, or even kind of the stuff we're going to talk about today, I think you'll really dig it. A big deal. All right. But again, the 12th, no, that is, that is August I'm looking at, the 9th of September, next Saturday, 8 a.m. Central Standard Time, TSP 23 tickets will go on sale. I expect them to sell out really fast, especially when you hear what's going on. All right, that's enough stalling because I started the live stream a little bit early. Let's dig into this. I want to start out with, you know, kind of going through some things about why you would want to do this. But I also kind of want to um, deal with the cow cow elephant in the room. We're only talking about beef today. When I started putting this together, I'm like, God, this could turn into like a four-hour show if I start putting other stuff in it. And then I ended up pulling back on the total number of primals. I was going to do four or subprimals, really. I'll talk about the difference in a second, to three because, like, I have an outline is a mile long and a ton of links and all kinds of stuff like that. But I know what I'm going to get from some people. But, Jack, I thought we were supposed to eat grass-fed beef only. Look, the person that usually says that goes out to a really great steakhouse, eats a steak, and never asks the person that serves it to them if it's grass-fed. I do prefer grass-fed beef. I'm using things that are easy to source for most people around the country. I know most of you eat conventional beef, even if you don't eat it all the time, even if you eat grass-fed. I know some of you buy it down the road. The stuff I'm going to talk about today is about how to address these larger untrimmed cuts and convert them into steaks and chops and stew meat and ground for yourself to save money. So if you're sourcing grass-fed, you're probably going to have a similar ratio, right? Or if you're buying organic, then whoever you're buying it from, you can ask about getting these subprimals. And you can do the same thing because you can, you can worry about the nutrition side or you can just focus on what I'm teaching you today, which is what can be done. Because we will break down a, a, a chuck roll or a, a, a whole sirloin top butt the same no matter where the cow came from. So this is not, hey, I'm completely endorsing the, the, the factory meat system. That's not what this is. It's just how you do what you do and why you would do it. And since I want it to appeal to the most people and I wanted to be able to easily get pricing, I'm using open market pricing that's available throughout most of the country. So I, I hope that does make sense. And one more thing I'll say about that before we move on. If I had my way, 
every cow would eat grass, and if it was absolutely necessary, hay, up until the day it got a bolt in the head. I think that is the way to go, and I think beef would actually be less expensive if we did that. But we have a system that's built on basically finishing cattle on grain. All cows are grass-fed. All cows eat mostly or exclusively grass for most of their life. They're only finished on grain because you literally can't feed cattle from calf to harvest nothing but grain. It won't work. So while it's not the best thing in the world, while it's not the best thing in the world, it is I would rather eat conventional beef than conventional pork or poultry. And I'll leave it at that, and we can let that caliphant go, okay? All right, so why would we want to do this? It's actually easy. Now, it does take a little bit of knowledge and what have you, but what I'm going to do today is I'm going to explain it to you, but I'm also going to tell you that I have links for every primal that I'm going to talk about today where you can go watch a professional butcher show you exactly how to break it down. I'm going to tell you how to find more information. I'm going to tell you that you do not need to stick to what those people show you. There's tons of people doing this, and you can figure out what you want to get out of it. So it's, it's actually easy to do. You also can get some cuts and steaks that you can't get any other way. Have any of you here ever heard of a mouse steak? I mean, I know everybody and their mother today knows what chuck eyes are, most people anyway. Uh, and many people have heard of things like Denver steaks now. Maybe you haven't, but I'll tell you about that, or Sierra steaks. Maybe you have. But I bet most of you don't know what a mouse steak is. Um, so I'm going to tell you how to get some things that, or a ter- terrace major. Right? That's actually the, na- the Latin name of the muscle because they haven't really named the steak. The name they gave the steak is stupid because there's another cut that's far inferior that they call the same thing. And I'll, I'll explain. But you can get stuff you just can't get any other way. And you have the ability to do things your way. Like, I don't know about you, but there's times I look at steaks and go, that's way thinner than I want it to be. I'd rather my steak be thicker. Or that's way, that's a tooth, that's damn near a roast. I would like it to, and so, but if I cut it, if I butterfly it, it's thinner than I want it, right? So you get total control. Um, You get the ground meat that you get when you do this is super high quality. And when I give you the pricing comparisons, I'll give you in a second. I'll explain why that's the case. But you also have complete control over that. If you grind and you don't have to grind, there's always something you can do uh, with your trimmings. Um, it's fun. It's, it, I mean, it really is a lot. Like, it's one of those things you don't think it's fun until you do it. And when you do it, it starts to get fun, especially if you prepare yourself, you get all your equipment ready, you get a nice big board to work with. You get all your equipment in place so you're not struggling and whatever. Turn your cell phone off so you're not answering it with meat hands or whatever. And just, I'm out for the next hour. And that's about how long it'll take you, probably the first time you do it, to break down most of these subbrows, right around an hour. Now, you might smell some grinding or something to do like that, but the cutting part will probably be done. Maybe another half hour to pack. So it's 90 minutes. Leave me alone. We could all use more of that if it also saves us money at the same time and improves our diet at the same time. And then um, let's let's start talking about saving money here. I want to show you, and uh, I just want to say again, for those who maybe missed the beginning, if you're watching the video live, all the pricing is as of today, August 31st, 2023. So if you're watching the six months from now, going, hey, he's crazy. It's not that expensive or it's less. Well, prices change. This is a commodity market. 
and they are from my local Albertsons that's right up the road that I actually shop at and a wholesale Costco club that I actually shop at because I thought that was like the right way to do this, about trying to stack the deck. So I'm going to go through all the subprimals I'm going to go into in depth today, plus a couple I'm just going to mention. I'm going to give you the price of them as subprimals in you know the packaging that you get them delivered in. And then I'm going to talk about products that come from them that you buy in the regular grocery store and show you how, again, even if many of these cuts, all, all you did was cube them up and make stew meat and hamburger meat, you'd still come out ahead. Plus, we can get you some really great steaks and some other cool things like boneless short ribs and chuck eyes and stuff like that. So let's start off. Like One of the best places to start, in my opinion, because it will teach you a lot. It does require learning a little bit more than some of the other cuts do. And there's some really cool things you can get from it is a, a chuck roll, a whole chuck roll. And when I say a whole, realize I'm still talking about a half. So half the beef, the whole chuck roll off that half. $4.44 a pound. That's all you need to know for right now. Keep that in your head. Um, a, a boneless top sirloin. So this is a, a top butt is also what this is called. So this is the sirloin with the cap on it, and it's probably a half of one in this packaging, just looking at the size of it. So not just half the cow, but half of the sirloin off one side cap on, $4.14 a pound. Uh, this is a, what's known as a shoulder clod. This is one I'm going to talk about what you can get out of it. This is the one you get the Terrace Major Steak from, which is you're almost only going to get this if you have a custom butcher or you do it yourself. This is shoulder clod. What is that? It is basically the outside of the blade down to the arm and then some of the muscle from down underneath kind of the armpit. We're structured different than cattle. They're bent over like this, so maybe that would make more sense. $3.64 a pound. Next up is a sirloin tip knuckle. I'm not going to go into everything to break down with. I'm just going to mention it uh, time to time here. This is one of the best deals. It's a great place to start. There's only one major seam in it. You're going to hear about how seams work today, and everything's based on seams. You can get some great steaks out of it. You can get some great stir fry out of it. You can. Uh, this is where you get your sirloin tips from, if they're really what they're supposed to be when they say sirloin tips. $3.94 a pound. Um, this is a USDA Select Eye of Round, $3.94 a pound. This one's super easy to work with. There's some cool stuff about it that I'll cover in brief. And then this is a whole sirloin coulette. This is also known as a picanha. Often you'll see these sold. They'll just take them out of this package. They'll cut them diagonally so they look like two triangles, piece and piece. And they'll put them in a package back together like this, a little bit trimmed up. And they'll sell them like that. Sometimes they go on sale and are actually less than this price. Most of the time they're a lot more expensive. Trimmed up nice. They're very expensive cuts of meat. Very, and you'll see that in a second. All right, so like I said, even if you just ground the meat, you would end up ahead. This is my local Albertsons. This is a value pack, so I didn't try to stack the deck. 85.15, I actually like 80.20 better, and you can make it whatever you want when you do it yourself. 5.99 a pound. So ground meat literally costs more than every other, of the, and then you get everything else I'm going to show you about today. Moving on, stew meat. When I was a kid, and if you got stew meat from the grocery store, it was like a buck a pound or a buck fifty a pound. Like we used to make all kinds of stuff with stew meat because it was so daggone cheap. Stew meat, and again, this is a larger pack, two pound pack, seven ninety nine a pound for stew meat. So if we just made stew meat, we're ahead. How about USDA Choice Chuck Short Ribs? 
one and a half pounds, thirteen forty nine. That's eight ninety nine a pound for boneless short ribs. They're not ribs. I'll explain that when we get to the Chuck Subprimal. Um, how about Eye of Round? This is a very lean cut. I'm not a huge fan of making steaks out of these, though. That's what these are cut to eight dollars a pound. Remember that Eye of Round? It was under four bucks a pound. There's not a lot of waste on a whole Eye of Round. There's a little bit of trim and some silver skin, but it's not that much. Um, how about a London Broil? When I get to where they come from, one of the places that cut that's called London Broil comes from today, I'll explain to you how London Broil is not really a cut. It's not like a ribeye or something like that or a New York strip where it's a specific cut. London Broil is really a way that you cook meat, and you do it with large, thick cuts of lean meat that if you don't cook it right, end up really tough. But it's expensive, 8 bucks a pound, and it's considered a cheap cut. When I was a kid, my Italian grandmother used to buy that cut all the time, and my grandfather would cook it out on the grill, and I thought it was just amazing that we got to eat this, and it was because it was like a buck forty-nine a pound back in the 80s. And it's gotten everything's gotten expensive. That's why we're doing this show, guys, because I understand that everything has gotten expensive. Uh, next up today, Top Sirloin. Uh, top Sirloin, $10.99 a pound. And I'll show you, you can, you can pretty much get it for half that price by doing your own meat cutting today. Um, there's a lot of ways to look at it. You can actually look at it like you get certain parts of the, of, of the come out of the subprimal for free. Yeah, not really those. But how about the chuck eye, the vaulted chuck eye? This was always called the poor man's ribeye. Well, now the poor man's ribeye is ten fifty a pound at my local Albertsons. So this is this is a piece, and we're going to go into that primal first. I think we are. Um, the the ribeye comes up the back and then connects to the neck, and this is right where they break off the rib primal boom from the chuck primal boom, and then the first you know, maybe three, four inches of that is where you get your chuck eyes from. And I'll even show you, if you don't want to do all this toward the end, a way that you can game the system and barely use a knife and get a chuck eye and a Denver steak. Not always, but sometimes. So there is no doubt that there is absolutely a money-saving component to this. I'll also say if you just want, for whatever reason, uh, all the price comparison, I, I put that into a simple... Uh, PDF deck, like a PowerPoint deck converted to PDF, and uh, it's available. There's a link in the notes. Everything I'm going to reference, whether I show it to you or not, that I say is a reference will be in the audio notes that will go up about 30, 45 minutes after this live stream ends. Many of you are going to hear this on audio. We get we get 200 to 300 audio downloads for every video view, at least. So most of you are going to listen to this on audio as always. This is one, even if you don't watch the video, you may want to come to the notes to get the uh, audio-visual aids because I'm providing a ton of stuff today. Uh, moving on, I did want to make sure that I gave you some instruction on uh, different uh, gear that would be advantageous to you. I want to be clear when I do this. I'm not saying you have to go out and buy any of this to partake in this. I can go into my kitchen, pick up, you know, something like a good chef's knife and a, a cheap $8 Fisker's filet knife I keep in the drawer and do all this. This is just if you kind of you don't have knives that you're comfortable with or that you feel are up to the task and you want to know, like, what would I recommend and some other stuff like that. So starting off, and I have links to all this in the audio notes as well. 
You'll often hear butchers talk about a breaking knife. If you're watching the video, that's kind of the, the profile of the blade of a breaking knife there. Kind of has an upset, upswept tip. A lot of butchers say, you need a 10-inch and a 12-inch breaking knife. Well, if you're breaking down actual halves of beef, I agree. And you need some other stuff, too. I personally am very comfortable working with a knife of about 8 inches. Uh, we'll talk about this knife in a minute. That's an 8-inch butcher's knife right there. It's plenty of length. One of the reasons you want a long blade for this is when you're cutting steaks, you kind of want to be able to cut straight through. You don't want to kind of have to connect your cut if you want nice straight lines for good sears and stuff like that. Everything will look good. These are great for, again, breaking the primal down. For a lot of the, the, the trim, these are really great knives, um, they're, they're, and they're definitely good for squaring up your cuts and making your cuts. If you want a 10-inch one, Get a 10-inch one. If you want a 12-inch one, because you need a 12-inch you go ahead and get one. I'm just telling you, the one that I have on the screen and link to today, it's on sale, 46% off, 26 bucks, made by Victor Nooks. And it will do most of what you need. Real quick, um, I honestly, when I'm cutting steaks and things like that, now this, I don't use this for doing really thin slices for like stir-fry and stuff. But when I'm cutting a full steak, I use this cut coat butcher's knife. And I do that mainly because I've had it forever. I bought one a long time ago because I grew up cutting steaks and roasts out of my grand, uh, out of deer with my granddaddy's cut coat just like this. So it's a little bit nostalgic for me. But as you can see, the butcher knife like this has that same upswept front piece. And that's very useful in some of the cuts that you'll be making. Uh, again, you don't have to have a knife like this. But I wanted to say something about breaking knives, butcher's knives, some of the old hickory stuff, whatever, that has that upswept front. Don't use this shit for, like, chopping vegetables and stuff like that. My wife near took the tip of her thumb off with one of these because they work differently. They're designed for a different process, and I'll leave it alone. At least I get myself in trouble for, for telling on my wife. Another knife that I think really fits into the meat-cutting world, and you can use a fillet knife, a dedicated boning knife, whatever. Again, I have a Victor Knox that I think is a great knife. On the screen right now, they're on sale today, too, 33% off, $19.99. Uh, it's a six-inch curved uh, boning knife, and it's semi-flexible. And, I mean, like I said, you can use an $8 Fiskars from Walmart to do a lot of your trim and stuff. But a lot of times when you're taking silver skin and all off, there's a lot of guys who are really skilled, and they do really well using the same knife I just showed you. But this is probably one of the best tools and it's also very uh, flexible I don't mean in the blade itself but in doing other things they're great for doing things like boning out poultry and stuff like that because they have somewhat flexible tip and if, if you keep it good and sharp they're plenty flexible enough to do things like take skin off the back of salmon so they're a multitasker and at 20 bucks this knife is just a steal I don't really care what particular brand of knife you use I brought these knives up for you today because I know I'm going to get asked, and these are really great knives for the money. So, again, you can pick up a chef's knife and a butcher knife and do most of this. You'll just, it'll be easier as you're learning a new skill to have a tool designed for the task when you don't need these. Some other stuff, um, I really think that everybody should have a good sharpening steel. Now, understand, when if you go looking for steels, You'll find true honing steels, and you'll find sharpening steels, even though they might call them all sharpening steels in the description. Sharpening steels will generally be kind of oval-shaped. They'll be like 
encrusted with like artificially made diamond or something like that. They actually remove steel from your knife. They are sharpeners. And that means, yes, you can take a dull knife and make it sharp with one. You can also screw a knife up if you don't know what you're doing. Sharpening steel is like this. This is what you'll see if you go to a buffet and they're hand carving roast beef or something. And the guy's the big long slicer knife and he's sitting there sharpening it. They are really more edge maintainers. As you start to use a sharp knife, that edge will start to get little dinks and pushed and begin to develop a burr, which you try to develop when you're sharpening on one side or the other. And what these do is they pull that blade back to where it is. So I have no problem with a person that doesn't want to take the time to learn to sharpen their knives once they're truly dull and need their edge reestablished. That's fine. You want to take your knives, depending on how much you use them, a quarter, once a quarter, once every half year, whatever, and get them sharpened by a pro, great, go ahead and do that. But even if you're not going to do what we're talking about today, if you're a person that cooks and slices tomatoes and chops vegetables and cuts meat up a little bit and parts out chicken and stuff like that, you need one of these. And if you will pay attention to what you're doing, and as the blade begins to not perform the way it has been, you keep your edge, you can go a long time before you ever have to put a knife on a stone or any other form of a sharpener. So please get your, I have a link to this one. Uh, in the show notes today, but I really don't care if you already have one, learn to use it. I, I can't tell you how to use it here today. Um, I also recommend a knife for EDC called the Outdoor Edge uh, knife, and they make one with a longer blade profile called a razor bone or a razor fin. It's basically a foldable blade exchangeable fillet knife. I, I have all of them. I love all of them. These are not the longer blades. These are the shorter blades. I use these when I'm boning chicken and stuff. If I have a knife that I just don't feel like sharpening uh, because the blades, you know, they're basically a scalpel in a packet. And by the way, they reestablish an edge with a honing steel like that about 10 to 15 times before you have to get rid of them. But what I wanted to kind of point that out for is why do you see people that are sitting behind the counter teaching you how to butcher and have like five knives and they're picking up different knives at different times. Sometimes you'll notice those knives are different shapes and profiles and they're picking them up because that knife's better suited. But a lot of times you'll look and see dude's got like four breaking knives. Like I showed you sitting there and he puts one down and picks another one up. These are guys they cut all day long every day and they don't want to stop and do anything in the middle of a job. So when one knife starts to get dull, they just put it over here and they pick up another knife. Using something like this is a way for you to do that because you're probably not going to have to do it very often, right? Using something like an exchangeable blade knife is kind of a backup when you're doing that last little bit or have that little piece of trim that you just can't get the, the silver skin off or whatever. You have that razor sharp blade available to you. Again, you don't need any of this. I also recommend a good grinder, though there are ways to avoid needing a grinder. If you have a food processor, you can make chopped meat. I won't get into how today, but you can look it up. You pulse it, and you can make chopped meat. If you're making two or three pounds, nothing wrong with it. If you're going to do this regularly, you probably need to look at a good grinder. I have the grinder that I own, the TurboForce grinder I own, in the show notes today. And you might want to think about getting yourself some butcher's twine and learning how to do a butcher's knot, which I'm not going to try to do in a live podcast for you. Because um, a lot of people, can you turn your hands this way? Whatever. Butcher's knots are hard until you do it two or three times. You go, oh, and you remember it for the rest of your life. My suggestion for how you learn to do a butcher's knot, you might want a towel bigger than the one I have here. Look up how to tie a butcher's knot. Get yourself a towel. Roll it up in a bundle like it's an eye roast or something, you know, like, like that, for those that are watching. 
Again, use like a half-size bath towel, so it's a little bitty hand towel. And start tying knots on it and cut them off. And that way you won't worry about messing it up. And one, again, you watch anybody knows how to do it, their hands move like lightning because it becomes muscle memory, and you don't have to do it your whole life to get that way. It's actually not hard. There's good reasons for tying up roasts. The main reason is so they cook evenly. Even something like an eye-round roast, if you tie it up and make a roast beef out of it, it will it will cook a lot more evenly, better uh, able to keep a nice pink center. Because if you don't do that with eye round it, it is shoe leather, it is dry, it is nasty, right? I talk about my when I was a kid, my grandmother used to make eye round roast like for Sunday dinner, like maybe once a month, and I'd sneak in about an hour and a half into her cooking it, and I'd cut the end off and wrap it up in foil and put it back in, and everybody'd be eating like you put her gravy on it, it like went in there like a sponge because it was so dry. And I'm sitting over here eating this juicy piece of meat, and she's going, I can't believe you eat that. You're going to get sick. No, you're not. Don't be afraid of red meat. In the words of Hank Hill, if somebody asks us for well done, we ask them politely uh, but firmly to leave. Anyway, moving on. Uh, that's that's kind of the gear you really need to, to, to at least consider. Now, let's start talking about some subprimals. And I want to talk about well, what is a subprimal? Well, when you, you get like a whole cow and you hang it up and you split it in half and you start breaking these giant pieces off it, like the whole freaking arm and shoulder or whatever, that's a primal. And then most of what you will buy in a store, like I showed you package, is a piece of that that needs to be further broken down and hence subprimal. So several subprimals make up a primal. That, that's all that means. It's really simple. I want to talk to you about a chuck roll, and I have a great video for you. And I think the most important thing to take away from this is to be aware of what these things are called. And once you're aware of what they're called, you can go to YouTube University, and you can put in something like how to break down a chuck roll, how to break down a beef claw, beef shoulder claw. And you'll start finding videos about this. And then you can find think out things about how to break this stuff down that makes sense to you for what your goals are. And just, it's one of those things it's easy to learn, but since you don't know what you don't know, you don't know what to look for. And so what I really want to do is teach you what to look for today. And once you know, well, it's called a chuck roll and something like a Sierra state comes from a chuck roll. Then you can search for how do you remove a Sierra state from a chuck roll and you'll find 20 videos showing you how to do it. And you might find one guy that explains it in a way that makes more sense to you than another. And shows you how to clean up and then why would you want to know that. So let's talk about what a full chuck roll is and some of the things you can Not all the things. Because you can you can do whatever you want with a lot of These are just kind of some really great pieces that you can take out of that subprimal. So with a chuck roll, one of the best pieces, let's start with chuck roll again. It's kind of the neck up here going back on the top side of the cow, yeah? Um, a Sierra steak. A Sierra steak is on one half of the main split that you'll make. If someone trims one-ups and put, puts it in front of you and says, what is that? You'll go, well, it doesn't look, and you've never seen one before, you don't know what it is. It doesn't look quite right, but it looks like kind of a thickish flank steak. It cooks a lot like a flank steak. So flank steak, I should have put it in the pricing comparison, has gotten really expensive. Sierra steak to me is actually better. And it's better because the chuck, the closer you get to the head or the hoof, generally 
the meat is a little bit more tough, and the closer the tougher, but there's some exceptions to that rule. Because within a working group of muscles, there's muscles that work really, really hard, and then there's individual muscles that don't work as hard. And the Sierra steak is one of those. So you get the concentrated, beefy flavor of chuck, and you get the texture and kind of the cooking profile of a flank steak. And you can cut it up, and you can you know make it that way, or you can leave it whole and cook it like a whole flank steak, or you can maybe break it down, because a lot of times with a flank and a lot of times with a Sierra, you kind of have a thick end and a skinnier end. So by taking the just bust it apart at that point, and you – I'm going to talk about this later, but a lot of times what you can do is you put this stuff away in your freezer if you're not cooking it today and leave some of these larger pieces whole like roasts or larger steaks because you can always cut them when you take them out, but you can't put them together once you cut them. So that leaves that open to you. Or you can take the thicker side and kind of butterfly it, but it's a delicious steak. And most of you out there, if you have never heard of a, of a Sierra steak until right now, Put in the live chat for me, I have not. Because it'd be interesting to see how many people have just never heard of a Sierra steak. So you've already learned about a steak that you didn't know existed. The next one is the Denver steak. Now, I think this has gotten out a little bit more. More people are aware of the Denver steak. The Denver steak is another great steak. It's beautiful looking. It's got lots of marbling. You can cook it, and here come the, I have not, I have not, I have not, I have not. So that's what I'm trying to do is expose you to these things. You didn't even know they were there. So the Denver steak, and it hurts my heart when I see people do this, is one of the parts of the chuck roll that you can cut into a shape that looks like a, uh, a, a what do you call it, a, a short rib, and call it a boneless short rib. And some people do that. To me, it's too good of a steak. You can take a good Denver steak and cook it the way you cook any steak on the grill. Just don't, especially these cuts, don't overcook them. Get over your fear of pink to reddish meat. If you fully cook to well done, some of these cuts we're talking about today, you have taken something beautiful and you've turned it into literal shoe leather. Don't do it. If you're going to do that, go ahead and make short ribs out of it. The Denver steak is amazing. And if we look at a chuck roll, you'll have the eye and the piece right next to it. That's the Denver steak. And the eye to make your chuck eyes only goes down a little bit. The Denver steak goes down a lot further. It's also a steak that when you leave it whole, it sort of kind of looks like a flank. It kind of looks like a thinner uh, tenderloin or something like that. It doesn't taste like either. It's its own unique thing. So if you have never heard of a Denver steak until today, just put no in the live feed so I can separate it from the people talking about Sarah's. No, I've not heard of a Denver steak. I'm going to show you at the end today how if you don't even want to do all this, if you go to the store on the right day, you can literally pull a chuck eye and a Denver steak apart, something they're going to call a roast and charge a chuck roast price for it because it's that simple. You just won't get as much Denver steak as you would if you took the whole primal. Um, next is chuck eye. The chuck eye, as I showed you those, they look like a ribeye, though they're generally a little smaller and have left of like a pronounced cap, that, that beautiful rib cap that ribeyes have. This is something people look here that no, 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 no. See, I'm saying, guys, this, we're only in one primal so far. We're on one subprimal. And we've got two steaks most people didn't even know existed. Uh, the chuck eye. Has anybody here heard of a very famous steakhouse, Delmonico's? Right? You're a friggin' New York City, and you better get a reservation, boy, or you ain't getting in. 
Okay, even with New York having the accident, you, you want to go to Delmonico's, you you better have reservations, and you might need to know somebody if you want reservations that aren't for like next week. The Chuck Eye is the Delmonico steak. A lot of people don't know that. There are actually restaurants now that serve a ribeye and call it a Delmonico because the name is so foo-foo fancy. But the real Delmonica is nothing but a chuck eye. And, again, that's the part where the, the rib comes up to the neck and the eye continues up the neck. And once you go down there a certain amount, it doesn't make really a great steak anymore. And when you look at it, you can kind of see a place where there's like a line. It almost tells you where to cut it. And to me, the best thing you can do, especially until you get better at it, is cut it right there. Now you've got a whole chuck eye, or whole half chuck eye, right? And then you can kind of put your blade on it and say, like, how thick do I want to get three out of this? Do I want two really thick ones? But about three, three-quarter to one inch is what you can usually get out of one of them, depending on how good the butcher was that made the subprimal in the first place. So, yeah, that's your Delmonico's. And most of the time, if I'm dealing with this, I'm going to get about two because I love them thick. There, this is a steak. Again, you cook this like a ribeye. It tastes like a ribeye. It eats like a ribeye. I would actually say I prefer it to a ribeye. I think it's a little bit beefier because it gets a little bit more work from moving that cow's big-ass head around. So, it, again, the closer we get to the horns or the hooves, the tougher and beefier and more flavor we tend to get. But in this case, we've got a very tender relative to steak. Beautiful cut. So now, out of that, we've got the Sierra steaks. We've got Denver steak. we got Chuckeye steak. And so we're in the neighborhood of all cuts of meat that are nine, ten, eleven, twelve dollars and up. For a piece of meat, we paid about four dollars a pound for it. Now, what else can we get out of it? We ain't gonna get all steak. That neck piece that keeps going up after you give up on the chuck eye, you take that sucker and you cut it into kind of long, thick strips. There's your boneless um, short ribs, and you just cook them like you would. You braise them like, a, and they're delicious. I've seen one of the guys, I think I have a link to you. He took the whole eye and made boneless short ribs, that including the chuck. I hurt my heart, but, yeah, you could do that if you want to. You, Anything that's left, you've got stew meat. Now, I showed you stew meat was $8 a freaking pound. We're at four, so you can cut stew meat out of it. You can make roasts out of it. You can do grind, right? And, again, once you know what to look for, and I'm going to show you a video on my shortcut stuff at the end of this uh, presentation. If you go to stores, sometimes you can look and it'll say chuck roast. And sometimes they have that shit on sale for like $4.99 a pound. And, you know, six out of seven of them will not be what you're looking for. One out of six, one out of seven, one out of five of them will be. And literally, you pick them up and you yank them apart, and you got a chuck eye on one hand, and you got a Denver steak in the other. It really is that easy once you know what to look for. Um, but this is just one of those subprimals that gives you again these three different steaks. Two of them most people have never heard of, and I'm going to tell you right now, a Denver steak will change your mind a little bit about steak. It, it's not like it's oh my god, I can't believe I got a, a, a Denver steak, but it's it's different. Imagine the flavor of a short rib in a steak that's tender enough to eat. Now, I'm not getting into a lot about, you know, cutting across grain and stuff like that because 
I'm not explaining exactly how to do it. Again, I'm providing the video so you can decide. I want to start with this uh, primal. Here's my starting video, and I can keep doing research and go do this myself. But how you cut is really important. And when we cut across the grain, when we go to bite into something, we leave ourselves these short grains, and we get a very tender experience. So the same cut of meat sliced the wrong way can be very tough. Think of it like this. I've been to, I, I don't see this a lot anymore, but I remember back in like the 90s when fajitas took, fajitas took off, right? And, and back then, like today, there's a lot of sirloin on menus that they just say fajitas and it's actually sirloin. It's not skirt steak, but the skirt steak was long and then your grain went up vertically. And so they cut it with the grain just because it seemed like, because it's people at like low end restaurants that don't know what they're doing, honestly. And you go to eat it, and you're eating it as a fajita on a tortilla, and the whole piece of meat pulls off. Like flank steak's tough. You cut it the other way, it's not because you're cutting cross grain. So just know that that is a thing, and I won't beat it up. Uh, now I want to move on to the sirloin top butt. And I want to show you real quick here. I have this is from a video, and I have the full video in the notes. But this is kind of the end of the process that I'm showing right now for those that are here to see it. And I'm going to describe it for those that aren't. I've basically got some chunked up meat that can be done as kebabs or stew meat. I've got some stuff left over for grind. I've got some fat put aside, and we can talk about that. I've got a whole bunch of different size, different thickness um, steaks. I've got a small roast in netting, and then I've got something that is labeled coulette. Coulette, if you've ever heard of picanha, it's the same cut of meat. And so if you get a whole top butt, the top cap is your coulette or your picanha. And if you noticed in that, there wasn't a whole big pile of stuff for a grind because most of it has higher value than grind from that piece of sirloin. There is quite a bit of fat because the cap on it's pretty thick and you want to reduce that cap. But picanha is known as the best piece of steak in Brazil, where they know a little something about steak. Brazil probably eats more. Brazil and Argentina both love it, but it's Brazil, where I believe, where they call it picanha. They're, they're nothing that they want to eat more than that cap. And when I showed you the piece that was 8 bucks a pound, the cool, whole coulette at Costco, that's what that is. That's the whole cap from a whole top butt removed. And they can be, and again, I've got videos to show you how to slice them. There are people that will cut sirloins that have the, like, kind of like we cut a porterhouse. If you're familiar with a porterhouse, you got a T bone and then you got a porterhouse as you go further down. On a porterhouse, you've got the bone in, and on one side, you've got the New York strip, and on the other side, you have the fillet, and there's bone there. Now, in the sirloin, there's not a bone between those two cuts, but you can actually cut where you have basically a picanha on one side and your top sirloin on the other. I don't like that. I like the cut that I should, the way this guy did this here, where he kind of made smaller uh, sirloins. He basically, those steaks, each two of those could be one together. He cut them apart. This is a video. This guy's basically doing this to show restaurant owners how to maximize profitability out of buying these subprimals and cutting them up for their customers. So they were making portion, more portions that way. I do not like, and I mean this, I do not like leaving the cap on the sirloin and then cutting steaks out of it. 
if you put it in front of me, I'm damn sure going to slam it and eat it. But the reason is I actually think that they cook a little bit differently because they are two total different muscle groups, and they're held together only by connective tissue. So out of the out of the top sirloin butt, we get the picanha, coulette, sirloin cap. You call it what you want. You can cook the cap whole, just trim it up and cook it whole, or you can cook it as individual steaks. I tend to like to cook it as individual steaks. What they'll do in Brazil, they put it on skewers, and they take those long pieces, and they kind of bend them into a C. That's a good way to do it, too, with skewers if you have them. Then, here's one. I, I bet you did hear this because I said it in the intro, but I bet most of you never heard of this in your life. The, they call it in Canada a mouse steak. Uh, in the United States, it's usually referred to as a pillow steak. Even a lot of butchers are unaware that the thing even exists. It's this little lump of muscle on the one side of the sirloin, and you can take it out. This is actually a real butcher's cut. There's a lot of stuff they said were butcher's cuts, but they just meant that the butcher took it home. This is one that if the butcher knew it existed, they generally took it out, and they generally did keep it. And the reason they did so is it's such a small piece. It's pretty much a lunch steak for one person, and each top butt has one of them. It is delicious. It is delicious. And kind of no one would miss it. You got me, right? The meat cutter, like if I take one of these out and don't leave it on and just make steaks out of it or throw it in the grinder, no one will miss it. That's an actual, and it's a delicious steak. It makes no sense. And this is why you'll probably never get one of these unless you do it yourself. Or you have one processed, and the guy processing it knows what you're talking about. You tell him you want it. By the only two ways you're going to get it. Because since it's a, such a small piece of meat, a regular butcher shop's just not going to have very many of them. And then the public's not aware of what they are don't want to pay a premium for them. So that's a real butcher's cut. And, again, it is a delicious, and it would be the thing that I would look at. Like, when I'm cutting meat, I'm doing it for my family. But, you know, sometimes the guy that does the work takes a little tax for himself, and after he gets done, he goes and throws it on the grill and just eats it right away by himself, hiding under the pool deck. That's that steak right there. Okay, so anybody here ever hear of the pillow steak or the mouse steak? Say, I have not, if you have not in the live feed. I'd like this to see if you never heard of that. Uh, then, of course, you get your, your sirloin steaks. You get your stir fry, and pretty much any of these cuts – You'll look at certain pieces, and I don't really know what I want to do with this. It's not really good for a steak. You can make, or I have enough steak out of this. I also stir fry meat. Slice really thin across the grain, and you can call it stir fry. If it's a longer piece, you can call it a pepper steak, what have you. It's very difficult for any piece of meat, unless you really do something wrong when you cook it, to be cut thin across the grain and be tough at the same time. Because you know you're one step away from you have you've ground you've grounded. Right. And there's very, very, unless you start putting gristle and shit in your grind that doesn't belong in there, there's very, there's really not a lot of ground meat that's tough. You got me? Uh, so you can always do stir fry, roast, grind, etc. And I'll pause here and say this. Now I'm going to, I'm going to hold on, on, on the, uh, what to do with your excess fat here in a minute. But your grind, again, you can eyeball it or wait if you want to. There's always a little bit of red with your fat, a little bit of fat with your red, but. 80-20, I usually just kind of eyeball it like about this much to about, you know, eight handfuls of red and into the grinder it grows. I will say right now, when you grind meat, and I know I've said this before in shows where we've talked about it, if you do not put that meat into a tub and throw that tub into the freezer and get that meat like 
50% frozen before you put it in your grinder. You hate yourself. You hate your grinder and you hate your life. And you shouldn't do that. If you partially freeze meat before it goes in your grinder, it will grind so much better. There's also a lot of people, this is their philosophy, they take meat and they put it through on the course on the grinder and then they go in the second time they put it on the fine. I personally never fine grind my ground meat. Uh, I know my grinder has three discs. One's like a big, thick chili grind, like really thick. And the other's like a coarse grind, and the other's a fine grind. That middle one is, I just do that. I have never made a hamburger for somebody and said, man, this is, this is too coarsely ground for me to eat. I actually like it to be a little bit more beefy. So that, you're up to you, you, what you do. The issue is you put that meat through that grinder. And we're talking little grinders that we keep at home, not these big, giant commercial ones they have at the stores. It warms it up, and it warms the meat up. And when you put it through a second time, you'll find it's pretty hard to get through. And to me, what it does to the negative is more than it does for the positive. It's up to you. But if I was going to do it, I would literally take my meat, throw it back in the freezer for a little bit, and then I would take my grinder and I would run some ice cubes through it before I did it again. That's a good hack, by the way. When you're grinding, if you start to notice that maybe your grinder's not performing like you expect, and you look in, you don't have like some some silver skin or something wrapped around the screw you need to fix. It just isn't. It's probably starting to warm up, and you start getting more of a mush than a grind. Throw a couple handfuls of ice through it. You know, put a different bowl under there so you don't make your meat soggy, and then go back to grinding. When I'm going to grind, I take the, the, the bell and the screw and the blade and all of it. I put it in the freezer uh, for a little bit before I grind, so everything's cold. It just works better. Also, cutting your meat. I, I'm big on, I will throw the whole damn subprimal in a chest freezer for 30, 40 minutes. The colder that meat is, yes, it's cold on your hands. Um, but the meat, stiff, stiff meat is easier to cut. That's why, you know, the issue with these subprimals is they're basically sort of wet aged. They're in that cryovac bag. And so they don't hang and they don't get kind of firmed up. If you've ever butchered a deer or something, if you have the luxury of, of skinning it and hanging it in like a, a cold cellar for a couple of days before you, you break it down. It just cuts so much nicer. So the way we can mimic that, take it out of the package, dry it as best you can, throw it in a tub, put the tub in a chest freezer, you know, for even an hour. It's not going to freeze through it an hour, guys. It's a lot of meat. Um, oh, and on that, something I left off, I just want to say it right here. As you get cold, you lose sensitivities. As you're dealing with bigger pieces of meat, especially if you haven't done it before, it's very possible that you can cut yourself pretty bad. And the meat gets slippery and things like that. I'll add it to the audio notes for you. I have them on my site, cut proof glove on the non-knife hand. They're basically kind of sort of like a chain mail. Uh, like they build a shark bike suit out of, but not quite the same. But the construction's similar. And because of that, they're rough. <clears throat> so a lot of times people don't want to wear a glove when they're doing things because they reduce the sensitivity and dexterity. And I get that. I used to be a mechanic. And, you know, you try to get the best mechanic gloves you can. You end up taking them off because you can't feel that bolt you're trying to get started where you can't see it. you got to do it all by feel. But when you're cutting meat, actually, those cut-resistant gloves, a lot of times you're grabbing onto a big kind of blubbery piece of fat actually helps you hold on to it. And I won't say there aren't times that I'll dump that thing the same as when you're doing wrench work, but they're very helpful. 
And I personally know a surgeon, a, a used to be a surgeon, who is no longer a surgeon, who was a very good surgeon, who did very delicate surgeries, who cut into his left hand into a specific nerve. And while he could still do the general surgery portion of what he's doing, the stitch work in his specialty was very delicate and it requires both hands. And he is now retired and he retired far younger than he wanted to because he cut his hand in a kitchen cutting meat. That's a surgeon. That's a person trained to work on you with a microscope to his face. Did it? No one's immune to it. So definitely consider doing that for your own safety because many of us rely on the ability and sensitivity of our fingers. All right. So we did the top, but again, I think that's the most profitable uh, one. In fact, the video that I uh, showed you the, the little piece of little still of um, that's what the guy, and this is a guy that does it for a living. He says, if you're a, if you're a restaurant owner, especially you'll make more money with this particular cut than any other. But I wanted to give you another one because I like to give you things that you, you know, let you discover things you didn't know. This is called the shoulder clod. And again, um, when the butcher's working on this, they've got the whole front leg of the cow. You've taken this kind of neck off uh, chuck roll that we just talked about off of it. And you've got this, the whole, I'm trying to show on the screen, you've got the whole arm, including the shoulder blade. If you've ever butchered a deer and you didn't do what we call peel it, you actually hung it up and then you parted it out and then you boned it later or you broke it down later or maybe left some bone and used a bone saw. When you take those front legs off, all you do is kind of pull the leg out to the side and, and they fall right off. There's, there's literally nothing holding them but muscle and connective tissue. And uh, it's a little bit more than we generally do with a deer that you take with it. Well, a deer, you know, shoulder blade is pretty small. There's not a lot of meat on it. A lot of times when I was a kid, we would just take a bone saw and, and, and cut the lower and upper shoulder apart. And each one was a small roast. And then you had the hawk and you you'd save up hawks from a couple of deers and, you know, you braise them off real slow, like mini Osabusco or something. Uh, when it comes to. Uh, a cow is a much bigger animal. This is a big hunk of meat and it's a little unwieldy. It may not be where you want to start. You may want to get your feet with, with something easier like a sirloin uh, or uh, 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 a chuck roll. But the butcher has taken it off the blade for you. So it's bone free and there's a lot of different seams in it. And again, it's all about identifying the seams and separating the muscles. You can learn a lot of this on your own if you just stick to that. Here's a seam. I'm going to take this muscle and this muscle apart and look at it and say, hey, what does this look like and what can I do with it? But following these examples will have you not waste your time for something that goes, that looks like it'll make a great steak and it's just like a rubber band because some stuff is that way. Um, but that's the piece we're talking about. Now, Back here is a little muscle in that groove. Again, it's called a terrace major. They will also call it a mock tender. The problem with calling it, because it looks like a little filet mignon tenderloin. The problem with that is they will also do shit like cut up, uh, let's say, an eye of round and, call, and put wrap bacon around it and call it a mock tender. Or they'll take a piece of sirloin and they'll call it a mock tender, and they make it look like a filet mignon with bacon around it. And so there's a couple different muscles out of the cow that they will use that term for. And the industry really hasn't given this steak a name yet. I don't know if they ever will. 
This, like the mouse steak, is something you will almost never see unless you do it for yourself or have a custom butcher do it for you. There is only one on the entire um, clod, the whole shoulder clod. So there's only two per cow, and they're probably going to be less than a pound each. Sometimes a really big animal might have, you know, a one-pound terrace major. Imagine a steak that very much tastes like a filet mignon with the beefiness of a ribeye. That's this steak, and it's best... The little thin ends, maybe you trim those off and you cook it just like you would do a deer tenderloin. And they look about a little bit bigger, maybe. Not, now, I live in Texas. A big deer is 120 pounds. Um, they look about the size of a deer tenderloin. Fantastic. Very unique cut. And if you read up on it, they'll say, well, the reason you don't see it, it takes a very skilled butcher to extract it. No, it doesn't. It's actually a very easy piece of meat to take out. Now, it does require some labor because there's a lot of silver skin on it. Let me pause for a second here and talk about this between silver skin and fat. Silver skin is that really thin connective tissue, and if you cook it, it generally doesn't break down. You can cook it forever, and it kind of will, like, wad up in a ball and just sit there. Silver skin goes away. Now, why do it mine? When I have silver skin, I don't care if it's off a deer, a cow, whatever. I put it in a big ball. I set it all aside. I do not throw it away. I take it at the end of it. I throw it in a pan, turn it on simmer, and I cook it, and I put it on my dog's food, and I feed my dogs with it. Literally nothing goes to waste from my end. Fat, we know what fat is. And fat, you'll have really blubbery fat. You'll have a little bit thicker, harder fat. That's the better quality fat. Sometimes I'll take a little of that, that jiggly fat, and I'll throw that in for the dogs as well. Um, but the fat, we can break that down to tallow. We can mix it with our grind, what have you. Moving on from there, though, how about a flat iron steak? I bet most of you have heard of a flat iron steak. Did you know you was eating beef shoulder when you ate a flat iron steak, though? There's a pretty significant amount of flat iron steak that you get from a beef clot, a beef shoulder clot. It's enough for quite a few people to each have a steak, maybe four people, depending on how big you cut your steaks. Uh, flat iron steak has gotten, that was another butcher's cut. I don't think it was ever truly a butcher's cut. It was that butchers knew it was good, but it wasn't the piece they snuck home with. Uh, it does take some effort to get out. A lot of shops are just going to take that, almost everything in that clod and grind it or make roast, or, roast and grind or stew meat. It takes some time. It's not hard, but it takes some time. And it's got a divider in it. So it's basically two sides. So first you get it out. Then you trim it and then and separate it and take the skin off it, and you end up with these two pieces that are shaped a lot like a piece of flank steak, but they don't have the same grain. Flat, flat iron, you can probably find at your store. You can go buy one full price and try it and see if you like it. I think they're a fantastic steak. They do have a little bit more chew to them than something like a, you know, uh, even a sirloin, but if you cook them right, nothing wrong with them. How about a London broil? Now, when I was a kid, we ate the shit out of some London broil. Like I said, my Italian grandmother, she was a, a penny scrounger, and London broil was a big piece of meat. And it was super cheap. It's gotten to be a lot more expensive. There is no cut of meat that is a London broil. At one time, they actually referred to flank steak as London broil until it got kind of specialized to do other things. When people realized it wasn't just a stuffed piece of meat, you just had to cook it right, and it was good. 
it became kind of the base of fajitas, and now it's like a, its own thing. But most of the meat that you find in a store labeled London Royal, it, these big, it looks like a, it looks almost like a roast, but you cook it like a steak. Either are going to come from the shoulder clawed, right? So they're coming from basically a big muscle in the, the arm of the cow, or they come from the back muscle in what's called the inside round that we're not talking about today. But you're basically looking at, you know, cows don't really have arms. So you're looking at a big chunk of leg muscle. And in one, one shoulder clawed, if you particularly like that piece of meat cut nice and thick that way, you get a lot of lunch broil out of one beef clawed. So we're taking something that sells right. I believe the price I had on it on this, this is a, this is a cheap sub primal, like 349 a pound or something like that. And the London Royal was like eight or nine bucks a pound now. You get a ton of it. Now, there's also what people will call a shoulder steak. You know what a shoulder steak is? It's that same cut, except it's not cut as thick. So you can either do London Royals, you can do shoulder steaks, you can you can cut those up for stew meat, you can mix fat back in with them and get great grind out of it. It's up to you. You can get tied roasts out of that beef clod like you can anything else. Again, stew meat. Pepper steak, that same that same meat that you can make those shoulder steaks or whatever, or other cuts out of it, again, across the grain thin and kind of down and away, you can make what they call pepper steaks, which are basically like steakums from cheap cuts of meat that are better than steakums, right, for, for you know, cheese steaks, if you want to call them that. Cube steak, now the video that I have linked to for you, if you want to particularly focus on this particular subprimal, he says, just run it through your cube steak machine because, it's again, it's made for people running restaurants or uh, for people that are doing, uh, um, uh, you know, like cutting their own meat at a grocery store. A lot of these videos, guys, they actually came out during COVID because a lot of the a lot of the organizations within the beef industry realized how stressed the supply chains were and how people were on the edge of bankruptcy. And they decided if they educated the people cutting the meat to a higher level, they would be able to get more value out of the meat and stay in business. Okay. Um, but let's say you want cube steak. Get yourself a tenderizer. It looks like a mallet. One side's flat. One side's pokey. I'll add one to the show notes. I forgot about that because I don't think it's essential. But a lot of these cuts, if you want to do more of a cube steak, you just take the pokey side, lay it on a th- and beat the hell out of it. Those are great anyway. They're a multitasker. You do things like you take some uh, chicken breast, you flip it, you know, butterfly it over, put it in a plastic bag or cellophane over it and make your nice, you know, pounded cutlet. You can do veal like that, whatever. But again, the other side makes a really great cube steak. I'm not big on cube steak. Usually cube steak is kind of like fried with some batter on it or some flour on it. But if you like it, that's, you know, you can make it for yourself. And of course, grind. So here's some tips. Some tips I wanted to give you. Uh, toward the end. Number one, when you're looking for videos of how to break down a shoulder clot or a, a sirloin knuckle or an inside round or whatever, you'll find a lot of different options. And a lot of them are people that are doing it in their kitchen that are kind of like me. They're just trying to help. I'm not putting them down, but they're not pros. And because they're not pros, they may they might even do a really good job with the meat. Maybe they don't do as good a job of explaining it. Uh, there's noise, the camera angle sucks or whatever. If you put in the word merchandising, merchandising a beef clot, 
merchandising a top round, etc., into YouTube, you'll find the type of videos that I'm linking to and referencing today, where what they're saying is, okay, you are running a restaurant. You're running a small grocery store with your own butcher shop in it. You're buying these subprimals. They'll even give you, the, like for wholesale, the number of the subprimal. By the way, if you have like a restaurant depot or something like that in your area, you can check those out. Some require a membership. Some require you to be in business. If you have a farm business and you're, like there's a restaurant distribution wholesaler here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, that basically it's it, you can't just walk in as a member of the public. You have to bring in paperwork that shows you're in business. You go in, you bring your incorporation paperwork for your little small farm, even if it's a microgreens farm. We, and if they ask you, all you say is, I want to buy my packaging here. They give you a membership, and it, then they never ask you again, right? And you can save a lot of money that way. And a lot of these cuts, they actually are in the system with specific numbers to be ordered. So you can walk in and say, I need four 11579s or whatever the number is, just a little add-on there. Um but the merchandising thing, that one I showed you with the beautiful presentation at the end of cutting up that sirloin, that's one of those videos. It's, it's designed to do that for you. Next, um, there's a website, and it is purely commercial, and it's designed to drive sales and, and basically be a propaganda machine. And, and I, I get that, but it's actually very useful. Uh, we've all heard the kind of tagline been around 25 years now at least beef it's what's for dinner there's actually a website called beef it's what's for dinner.com and it is really useful what i have up now are ch cut charts it shows you almost every cut of beef except for a few i gave you today it tells you what they are and where you find them along with showing the primals and sub primals that they come from um and it's, it's all, again, designed, a lot of this is designed for the food service industry, for butchers, for restaurant owners. And that really informs you as to the value, the most valuable way to take the meat apart. It breaks down individual cuts, individual primals. It's a great resource. Uh, don't get caught up in the fact that they're trying to, you know, market the product and look at the information that they provide. Um, and you can go into individual, like there's the plate. Uh, primal, and it'll show you all of the things that come out of there. For some reason, it's loading a little bit slow today. Uh, but you might learn, like, that there is even a plate primal. Now, I've never found, I've never asked, but I've never found, like, a, a, a plate primal at a Costco. Though, I might ask, because maybe they'll have one. But there's a lot you can get out of that that is some of the things like hanger steaks and all, other things they call butcher's cuts, and you can learn more so you know what to look for. And once you know what to look for, you can start looking for a source. And then you can also start looking for, again, almost anything you put in, how to break this down, how to merchandise this. You'll find a video, and somebody for absolute free will show you exactly what to do and exactly how to do it. Okay, moving on. This is really not about cutting meat in the way that we're talking about today. But let me just tell you something. If you use lunch meat, Meat slicers are money. And I mean, you can go out and buy a, you know, like entry level commercial deli meat slicer that goes down itty bitty thin to much thicker for 400 bucks. And if you use a lot of, you know, cold cuts, sandwich meat, whatever you want, it will pay for itself in five, six months easy. 
Go to your deli and look at what sliced ham costs. Go to Costco where it's pre-packaged sliced ham. Look what it costs per pound. It's gotten it's more than steak now. And then right next to it, there'll be a big block of the exact same ham from the exact same brand, right? In a chunk, like a half a ham or a half of a top of a ham. You take it home, you put it on your slicer, boom, 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 boom. You paid half price. That fast. You also take things like you take an eye of round, you tie up a roast out of your eye of round, you cook it to a beautiful medium, you let it rest, you chill it, half freeze it, honestly, and you make roast beef, sliced, delicious deli roast beef for $3 a freaking pound. Okay? And again, I know that some folks may be tuned in a little late if you're watching the live and like, but what about grass fed or organic? Again, the price might be different, but the savings is the same and the technique is the same. But I'm just going to say meat slices are money. I'm actually looking for one right now. I've got like the one I have is from my father-in-law. It's probably from the 50s, and it's terrifying. It's terrifying to use it. It sounds like it's going to kill you, and it doesn't work very well anymore. And I've looked at a bunch of them. When I find one, I'll let you know. This is one of those ones. If I'm going to spend three, four, five hundred bucks on something, then I go full jack spherical on the price to value ratio. I want to know everything. So I'm looking for one, but I'm definitely going to be picking one up this year. Um, now, I wanted to show you this. To me, this is one of those things. I I didn't know it, but I should have known it. And when I saw this dude do this again, this is guy Meet Dad on TikTok. I just, you ever have somebody show you something and go, well, no shit. Duh. Why didn't I think this is how I felt about this? When you go into a store, and here's the thing. The day you're going to find this is the best day to find this. Most of the time when you go into a grocery store and you look for this, you're not going to find it. And you're not going to find it because generally the cutters in the store that are breaking down the subprimals are actually going to break out your chuck eyes. And they're going to package them as chuck eyes and sell them for more money than selling them as chuck roasts. When they put the chuck roasts on sale, they have to keep stocking the meat tubs, right, as fast as they can because everybody and their mother's buying the meat really fast. So they just they just chunk it out. And you look, when, and you can go look when they're not on sale, but when you're on sale, you're going to be more likely to find them and you're going to pay less for them. And when they're on sale, if you don't see anybody, you can go to your meat cutter and say, can I get a chuck eye roast? And that's just the first roast off of that piece of the chuck roll we talked about. And it'll look like this. You, you'll look right at it. You'll see it almost looks like a New York strip on one side and almost looks like a ribeye on the other. That's just that first cut with the chuck eyes and the piece of the Denver steak. And then this is all you have to do. I'm about to play it without the volume running for you guys right now while I'm still talking. And watch this, dude. If it doesn't want to play, I'll hit a refresh here real quick. Of course, it has to slow down on me. Uh, all you're going to do, though, is you see the seam in it, and I have a link to this video, and you can subscribe to it. All he's doing right here is just – he ain't picked a knife up yet, for those not watching. Those on the, he's just pulling it apart. And he takes a little knife on the end, cuts a little bit of connective tissue off, and look what's in his hand. Doesn't it look just like a ribeye? And there's your Denver steak. That's it. No breaking down a primal – and there's another one. So, you know, he went into the store that day. They had him on sale. He picked up two chuck roasts, paid chuck roast price, 
Now, you're not going to save the kind of money when you break down a full sub primal, but you pay chuck roast price and you come home with four steaks. I call that a win. And I wanted to show you that so you could see that some of the stuff that we do is, is, is or, or can be done is, is really easy to do. Now, Mike says the whole stream is choppy. Are you talking about the thing I just brought in or me? Because I, I, I don't know. Um, but if you want to watch the video a little bit better, again, go to the audio notes and click on it. But that's, I mean, that's it. You just pull it apart and trim it up a little bit. Uh, next thing I want to say is if you're going to do this, you may find that when you have this kind of leftovers, some fat and some grind at the end of doing one subprimal, it's not worth getting the grinder out. Or like I said, you can make mints is what the British call it instead of grind by using a, a food process or even a smaller one. So what you do then is label it and freeze it until you accumulate enough to go ahead and make some grind or something like that. Or if you have something, you want to use it as stew meat, but it's only like a quarter pound or something out of it, like a sirloin knuckle or whatever. Just freeze it and label it and wait until you have enough where it's worth making stew. You just don't think, since I have this little bit here, I might as well get rid of it. Or throw it in a pan and, and slice it really thin against the grain and cook it up for yourself. Somebody said earlier, uh, uh, a Scooby snack. I hate that my stream is choppy. I, I don't know what to say about that. Nothing else should be going on either right now. Um, hopefully the recording will be good on the audio. Um, moving on real quick. Uh, I'm derailed. Take the fat that exceeds your needs and make tallow. Beef tallow is one of the best cooking fats in the world. It's super easy to make. I make it in a crock pot. You throw the fat in a crock pot, you set it on low, put the lid on it, and go to bed. You wake up in the morning, you got little beef crunchies, and you got tallow. You strain it, and you use it. I have a little video on my TikTok where I made uh, garlic herb tallow. I threw some, All I did was throw some rosemary in it and some whole garlic cloves and some thyme. And then when I strained it out, I have herb garlic-flavored beef tallow to cook with. There is no waste. And then you eat the little crunchies, or if you don't want them, again, give them to the dog. Very simple. Oaky Storm Chaser says put it on a smoker. Absolutely. Take your beef tallow, put it in something, you know, a pan or something that's not going to freaking melt from the heat of your smoker. And this is the beauty. Stack it. And what I mean by that is the next time you're going to do a brisket or ribs or whatever, just put some tallow out there. Now, this is what the, the, the video I did. I just had a little bit. I basically did up some uh, some picanha, and the one had a huge. I was not doing what we're talking about today. It was just an uh, individual picanha, but it had a huge fat cap. So I took the whole fat cap off it, cubed it up, and threw it in the little mini crock pot. That's the herb one that's on my TikTok. When I'm making a lot of it, par freeze it, put the fat through the grinder, and throw that in your crock pot. It'll render better and faster. It's it, it's just a better way to go especially if you're going to be grinding anyway. So if you're making grind and you're making your 80-20, take the rest of your fat, put it through the grinder. Or, again, you can cube your fat up and throw it in the freezer. So when you do something like you go out and buy a whole eye of round and you have a piece at the end, you have some fat you can grab and put it through the grinder because it's too lean to make a grind on its own with. Um, next, um, Simply untrim things can save you money. Be on the lookout when you go to the store. Look for, like, sometimes you'll see two tri-tips 
in a in a pack, untrimmed, and you can get it for four bucks a pound. You're talking about picanha, or not? Tri-tip's not picanha. Uh, sometimes you'll see the sirloin caps that way. That's the picanha. You'll also see tri-tips that way. Delicious cut of meat. Eye of round. You'll see an untrimmed eye of round. You can get a, a big piece of it at Costco for next to nothing, like I showed you. But sometimes you'll see like a half of one untrimmed. Don't be afraid to you know take some silver skin off and feed your dog, right? So so definitely look for things that you don't always have to do the, the whole thing. If you really want to get started with a subprimal, you want to get a lot out of it. You want as little waste as possible, and you don't want to spend a lot of money. The sirloin knuckle will give you some great steaks and some other things. There's only one major seam to separate. Get your feet wet. And because they're not that big, the total cost isn't that expensive. Because the other objection is, but it's too expensive. Well, pay now or pay, pay more later is the way you have to look at it. And, again, you can start with small money-saving things. And this is kind of like, you know, we talk about debt snowball. We talk about limiting debt. Pay your smallest debt first, then take it and put it on your next debt. You can do that with things like this. Find the, the, the simplest way, the most low-cost entry way that you can save your first money. And then you say, well, out of this, I saved $20. Okay, take 10 of it and go piss it away for all I care. Put another 10 in a jar. Go do it again. Keep doing it until you have enough money to invest in that meat slicer or to get a better knife or to buy a full subprimal. And the more you do it, the more you'll put in that, that jar. And the jar can be real or it can be metaphorical. Think about how to like to, to snowball your savings into a budget to keep doing more for yourself. Uh, don't forget sous vide. I talked about London broil. I didn't want to get into how you could, but London broil is actually a marinated, so you marinate that big hunk of meat, and then you grill it hot and fast, and you never cook it all the way through. Go ahead and marinate it, right? Dry the marinade down to where it's not sopping in it. Stick it in a, 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 a vacuum seal bag. Vacuum seal it. Throw it in a sous vide. Low temp, like 128, 130 degrees. Leave it in there for like four hours. Nothing's going to happen. Let it come all the way down. Throw it in a refrigerator if you want to. Because if you take a big hunk of meat at 130 degrees and throw it on your grill and you want to get a really hard sear on it, you can drive that. I've seen 130 degrees go to 145. I mean like that. So let that temp come down. That way you got time. It's like you're cooking it even though it's already been cooked and broken down the muscle fibers, not connective tissue, muscle fibers. You make that London broil that way, it will blow your freaking mind. And now you're eating top quality steak for $4 a pound. So you can do that right now if you want to go out and pay 8 bucks a pound for it. And it's still a much better deal than paying like a lot of these really high-end steaks now are 18 20 I've seen anywhere from 16 to $25 a pound. Porterhouse, New York Strip, ribeye, et cetera. You make a London broil that way. I'm not going to say it's as good as a ribeye because I love that fat, but there ain't nothing wrong with it. I'm just going to say that. It takes me back to my childhood because it was better than my grandma used to make. Sorry, grandma. And uh, you can always make a roast into stew meat. Yeah? You can always take stew meat and turn it into grind, ground meat. Yeah? It's a one-way process. It's like hashing in Bitcoin. SHA-256 goes in one direction. You can't go back the other way. Don't worry about that if you don't know what it means. I bet you understand what it means when I say it this way. If I take a roast 
that I'm like, I might make stew out of that. That's more work today while I'm doing all this other work we just talked about. I take that roast, I tie it up, or I don't because I can always tie it later. I put it in my, I use a chamber vac, whatever you use, put it in there, seal it up, and label it, whatever kind of roast it is. Put it in the freezer. Wife says, you know what would be really good today? And I go, I don't know what. Stew. Okay, so I go to the freezer. I take the roast out. I let it defrost. I chop it up into cubes. I make stew. If she says, boy, you know what would be good today? Roast beef. What am I going to do? Glue it back together? If I want to grind it or, or cut it up or make pepper steak, like, don't be afraid to go ahead and make roasts out of a lot of these cuts that make good roasts. And then just realize that's the flexibility now. Now I can take that thing out of the freezer, let it defrost, and I can make thin slices. And I can make, you know, a pan-fried pepper steak or something like that. Or I can, you know, cut it into uh, thin strips and then put it on skewers and make like a satay. So realize that by leaving some of your bigger pieces as roasts, you're not now locked into it has to be a roast. And this is, I think, consumer mentality getting in the way of DIY. We go to the store. If we want a roast, we buy a roast. If we want cubed meat, we buy cubed meat. And that's why they take us for more money. Now, I'm not I'm not saying they're ripping you off. A lot of people use the word rip off. I don't think it's a rip off. Some guy who's paid pretty well went and worked on that piece of meat for you. By doing the work yourself, you're saving money. You're not preventing yourself from being ripped. You don't work for free. I don't work for free. None of us work for free. So that meat cutter is not working for free. All the stuff I'm teaching you about today that guy might have 20 or 30 years of experience and he'd be way better than any of us at it. He deserves to be paid for what he's doing. But the, menta- the problem isn't that they charge us to do a job. The problem is that the job has been done for us for so long, we forget that we can do it ourselves. So don't be afraid to try this. The worst thing that can happen is you get great stew meat and ground meat. If you screw everything up, you cut the meat the wrong way or something, you ruin half of it, then you get great burger and great stew meat or maybe great boneless ribs or what have you for half the price. That, that's the worst thing that can possibly happen. Uh, Mike's saying chef's store slab of Angus New York strip is $8.69 a pound. I didn't go into the strip loins and the rib loin subprimals today. And the reason I didn't do that is because they're so basic. You basically trim them up and cut steaks out of them. Now, you can make roasts and you can do some other things. And one of the merchandising videos showed how to take, like, a a rib one and cut these little backslot pieces off of it and do something different. And you can do that stuff. But basically, I figure people know if they go buy a whole strip one that they're looking at a big, big, giant roast of New York strips and you just cut them any size you want. It's also a great deal. If you're buying, if you can afford the subprime, if you are buying ribeyes instead of a giant rib subprime, you are, you are throwing money away. Anybody with a decent knife long enough to cut across that can make their own steaks. And th- start thinking this way. You go look at it, it might be 180 bucks or something for a, a big rib, uh, a rib you know, basically the whole rib section, that's ribeye. It's expensive. Maybe it's 8 bucks a pound instead of 23 bucks a pound. Talk to a friend. They don't have to be a prepper friend. Everybody likes steak. 
except vegans, and they don't count, their opinion doesn't count here. If you're a vegan and you're watching this and you're offended, I don't know how you lasted this long, right? So I'm not worried about offending. Your opinion about meat cutting doesn't count or saving money on meat doesn't count if you're a vegan or a vegetarian. It just doesn't. And so if you go to your friend at work and say, hey, man, I was thinking about getting one of them big rib racks down at Costco and cutting some ribeyes out of it. He might go, well, yeah, I've been thinking about that, too. But damn, boy, them things are 180 bucks. All right. You got 90 bucks? Yeah, I got 90 bucks. So do I. How about we buy one? I'll bust it in half and bring you your half. You just now you've started that stair step into savings. So I didn't go into the the uh, the strip loins and the rib loins, but they're incredible value. They're just also incredibly easy and the entry point of cost is higher. So what I tried to give you is, you know, you can get something like a, a whole beef clod and you can end up with about 20 to 25 pounds of product and you're into it for like $120, right? So that's super cheap and you get all these unique things, but yet definitely consider getting into some of the uh, higher end stuff as well. Now, I wanted to tell you about our item of the day from yesterday. I didn't tell you about it because I had Miles LeGros on. We got into a deep discussion about what his work was like as a documentarian on the backside of combat, showing what was really going on. It just seemed inappropriate to put a commercial at the end of that episode. Worked out because the item of the day, I'm just going to run it again today, is a great product when you start thinking about, now I put all this meat in my freezer and the power went out. Wouldn't it be great to keep it from going bad? It's a Frigidaire portable ice maker. I love this thing. I bought mine for 88 bucks. You pour water and it makes ice. I have a video in the review that shows it actually working. It just happened to go off while I was uh, doing it. It's, it's right there. Um, you can make ice. It'll make about 26 pounds a day. But I wanted to say a couple things about it. And I do say some of them in the video, but I wanted to add to it. This is not a high-end ice maker for $88. It works really good, but it has a life expectancy. And quite a few people said, I have that one or one like it. You know, it's three years old. It's slowed down. It doesn't work as good as it used to, or it's dead. Okay, here's how you make any ice maker, these portable ice makers, last longer. Number one, I don't think it makes any sense for them to run at night. And the reason is because the way they work, they have water in the reservoir on the bottom. They recirculate it. They freeze on these uh, on these posts. And that's how it makes ice so fast. It will make a, it will drop a batch of ice every nine minutes, like clockwork. Nine minutes and 18 seconds. I actually timed it, and it's like clockwork. Well, that ice is sitting in there. It's not a refrigerator. It's a cooler. So it's, it's melting, and the excess water is dripping back down in the reservoir, so it's not a problem. Except when that basket gets full, it'll trip the thing to stop it in your freezer to stop it from making more ice. And the ice will melt kind of in this weird pyramid form. You get up in the morning. And you don't even really want the ice that's left in there and it isn't making it anymore. Okay, so you shut it off when you go to bed. You use it. You, you clean it out as it fills up. You put it in your freezer. You make bags of it. You put it in your deep freezer. Go to bed. You turn it off. Now it's not running for 8, 10 hours a day. It's going to last that much longer. Equipment like this doesn't wear out because it's old. If you put it in the box on the shelf and didn't touch it, in 10 years and plug it in, unless something really went crazy, haywire with EMP or something, it's going to work, right? So it is mean time between failures, and that's how long it's operating. Also, if you have your freezers full of ice, don't be making ice with it. Take it out of your freezer. Shut it off. 
What I love about though, it is very portable. I mean, pick it up. You would have to be really weak sauce and not be able to carry it. My grandson is a, a 12 now, and he carried it. So if he can carry it, you can carry it. So when you go camping and you're going to be staying in a cabin or something, any place where you have power, take it with you. Airbnb with the boys at the lake, take it with you. Make your own ice. It'll pay ice right here now is like two forty nine a bag. So it really quickly will pay for itself. It's very in my video I show how much power it draws. It's not much like one hundred twenty watts. So it's very energy uh, low energy draw. The other thing, it will run off like an eight hundred watt inverter attached to the battery of your car. So when your power is out, even if you don't have a generator, and you should, but if you don't, you can use an inverter in your car to make ice. Now you can keep ice in your cooler, and you can keep your food from spoiling. A lot of other stuff, great write-up on it. Definitely worth checking out. A bunch of people picked one up yesterday. Um, two things I want to say about it, and we'll go to for the day. Number one, it comes with like $4. Every day I check it, a different one of the colors is $88, bucks, and the other ones are in the 90s, so like 101 I don't think the color of this really mine's matters if you do and you want a red one so be it pay 10 bucks more in my opinion buy the cheapest one it just so happened the black stainless one was the one that was 88 bucks that i ordered mine we pretty much standard on it so it worked out but i wouldn't pay extra money for a different color and then the other thing is i talked about making them last longer here's one more thing i want to show you this stuff one of the most important things that you can do with any ice maker whether it's an expensive one or a cheap one is use cleaner and descaler get two bottles of this stuff, which will last probably for damn near ever, because you only use a little bit, uh, and about once every two months, run this through your ice maker, and then uh, throw everything away, and then run one batch of water through it, and throw everything away, and then go back to using it. What it will say on this product is to run the cleaning cycle. Okay, it is made for the expensive ice makers that have a cleaning cycle. These cheap ones don't have a cleaning cycle. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The, 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 when you add this to the water, it will still make ice, it will still freeze, and it will still clean the machine and all of the circulation and everything well for you. And then, like I said, throw it away, dump it out, fill it up with water, run one full, the whole thing through the machine, and throw it away. If you don't want to use this because it scares you or whatever, you can use plain old vinegar. It will also help, but this stuff works better. And if you do what I said, you run one cycle, rinse it out really well before you start making ice again. And, again, you can do this once every two to three months, depending on how much you're using in your machine, and it will drastically improve how long it will last for you. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Uh, right at an hour and a half, so I didn't go too long with it. I was afraid I was going to. I'm going to do another show like this either next week or the week after where we're going to talk about other things, like one of the best deals on the planet to save money with cutting your own meat. It's really easy to do. The full pork loin at Costco. It's like 2 bucks a pound. Center cut pork chops, et cetera, you can get out of it. And there's some other things we can do. Like I'm going to tell you a really cool hack I learned from Meat Dad. Because chicken wings have gotten stupid expensive, and it has nothing to do with wings, even though it does, and a bunch of other stuff like that. So we'll do something that's a little less large-scale, more simple hacks and stuff like that, either next week or the following week. And I'm going to really try hard to start coming back to our roots and doing less of this political bullshit. I know a lot of you like it. I know when I do a political bullshit show, there's 400 or 500 people in a live stream. And I do one like this, and there's 50 or 60 or 70. 
I get it. But this is the stuff that actually improves your life. Looking at all the the, the fire and brimstone and blood and guts and gore and political ass clouds does not put money in your pocket. What we talked about today puts money in your pocket and food on your table. And now more than ever, we need to do that. And the reason we even talk about the doom and gloom is because it's going to be important to learn the skills to put more money in your pocket and food on the table as we go forward. Expert Council Q&A coming at you tomorrow, and next week we'll do it all over again. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. Dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. You don't have to be another face in the crowd. Revolution